Welcome, welcome to Freaked Out with your co-hosts, Liz and Landon. Oh my God, I've been waiting to say that. What's up, everybody? Today, I want to give a warm welcome to Landon. Hooray! We have missed you so much, and this podcast is just not the same without you. So I'm excited that you're back. Thank goodness I don't have any more technical issues. I do feel very happy to be finally back and have my life semi back to normal and be back here with you and our group of listeners. So thank you all for the warm welcome. Before we get started, I wanted to welcome our new viewers. Guys, we need to keep on growing. If you haven't told your friends or your family, please do so. Share on all your pages. Top patrons of the week are as followed. Mike Milton. Woohoo! Sheila Davison. Then there's Crown Jewel Fan. I hope that's WWE. <laughs> that would be awesome. I see Mrs. Snowbank Hill. Thank you guys so much for being our top patrons for the week. Thank you, thank you, guys. I also wanted to mention that we were not able to spend any time in Buffalo, sadly, but fingers crossed that will change here soon. Hopefully, we will be able to discuss a few of those things in later plans, and I can't wait until it's time to fill you in on all those details. Alrighty, guys, so I wanted to start off this episode by giving you guys just a couple of facts. Now, the reason I am doing this is because there is a lot of indigenous crimes happening in Canada. Here are some facts about that. So it indicates that every five years, the GSS, which is the Criminal Victimization Presents, basically like a data, that Canadians aged 15 years or older who report having been victimized in the previous 12 months are majority women and most of them are indigenous. The rate of violence victimized among Indigenous people were more than double of the non-Indigenous people. So 163 incidents per 100,000 versus 74 incidences per 100,000. So like it's 163 to 1. Like it's it's pretty crazy. That is that is very crazy. Indigenous women have an overall rate of violent victimization that have doubled that of the Indigenous men and close to triple of the non-Indigenous women. The rate of violence, victimization for Indigenous women, it basically continues to grow every single year. Indigenous people are also overrepresented as homicide victims and people accused of homicide as well. While representing an estimate 4.9 of the Canadian population, Indigenous people are accounted for 24% of homicide victims in 2017. It continues to get worse and worse here. Uh, indigenous adults are overly unrepresented in custody, and the numbers are continuously increasing. Basically, I just wanted to give you guys a bit of a heads up as to how things happen here in Canada. So um, this is going to be a big, big case. We are going to be covering a lot of different details. I wanted to let you guys know that the Highway of Tears has had an insane amount of people go missing. The Highway of Tears is also known as Highway 16, and it is located in BC, Canada. It's also known for a few things. The Highway of Tears is 725-kilometer corridor of Highway 16 between Prince George and Prince Rupert, BC, which has been located in many missing and murdered Indigenous women beginning in 1970. At least, that's what's been documented anyway. I wanted to try to connect to as many victims as I possibly can, and I'm going to need some help. 
So I'm going to have a Facebook file folder and I'll have a list and basically we're going to go through whatever we have there. I feel like we'll be able to maybe have an overload of names and I'll be able to assist and pull the ones that I feel most drawn to. The first reported from 1979 was a Tracy Clifton. The span of her death spans from somewhere between 1970 and 1979. They didn't put any sort of report showing the times and dates and no photos. She was last seen leaving her home and walking down Highway 16 after having an argument with her mother. I know we don't have much on this one. It's a little bit of an older one, but can you feel anything with her or anything in relation to her passing? I feel long hair, brunette with ratty looking clothes, very skinny. She didn't have the best of anything, and she and her mother usually got along, but I believe she was wanting freedom. I believe her mother was not a very forgiving person with the idea of her daughter wanting to live on her own, and I feel like the both of them, I don't know, together, they just struggled. I feel them strongly, and I feel like her mother died maybe 10 years after the daughter went missing. She has blamed herself of her daughter's disappearance, and she spent those 10 years going everywhere with photos and information asking if anyone had basically seen anything. They looked at her like she was crazy and treated her badly. She even had a few aggressive white men tell her to screw off and even kicked her. There were a lot of race-related issues for her and her family already, but she was desperate for answers. She didn't care if she got killed herself, but sadly she shows me she got very ill and was unable to look for her daughter anymore. She shows me that on her deathbed, her daughter was there by her side and there during the passing. That is very sad. That is a very sad story. Does Tracy have any information on her own passing? She does. She shows me that she was really upset with her mom, so she shows me that she kept on walking and walking. She didn't really stop. She shows me that there were a few different places that she would travel by foot with nice woods and trees and even a little water area. She wanted to go further than she'd gone before, but since it was starting to get late, she may have gotten lost along the way. So she was really getting scared, and uh, she said she ended up in a shady part of town and uh, she said that there was a, a man and a woman outside and the woman was performing oral sex and perhaps she had never seen anything like that. So she kind of watched in shock more than anything else. And the prostitute told her to go to hell. She shows me that she had really been scared and started to get cold. And this was like a really nice white man sitting there. Um, he had a gun on him and he had boots and jeans and really nice long hair. She said he was... A monster, but not in his looks. She said that he had kind eyes and had blonde hair and he had a beard and he was really nice. And he had just seen her on the curb and brought her over his jacket, I believe. She says that he offered to take her home and she accepted his ride. She shows me that it was about August time frame when he offered to pull over and park a while. She's talked about her like issues with her mom. And from the sounds of it, she agreed to it. She shows me that they talked for about an hour and she said that she agreed that her mom may be a bit overwhelming and a bit overbearing, but she said that her and her mom fought a lot and she started to feel guilty about it, wanting to go home. I do see that he tried to kiss her and she said no and then she put her hands up to kind of say no, stop, and he put his hands up her shorts anyways. He touched her in her private areas and she screamed, telling him to stop. She shows me that she cried and he ended up pushing her down. Looks like it was a truck. Uh, she shows me he raped her and she was very young and a virgin and 
Then he told her after he was finished that she needed to be taken care of or she would tell basically somebody on him. She promised that she wouldn't and I don't believe that he cared or even believed her. He took her into the trail off of the highway. From what she shows me, he had like a flat tire too and he blamed her for that as well. She's scared and she showed me that she was trying to jump out of the car but he had her arm and as he drove he was kind of holding on to it. He also had his gun on his holster and threatened her while she was in the car shaking around that he would kill her. He killed her with his gun and left her in the forest and I don't feel like he tried to cover the body. He just let her stay there. She shows me she died in a slow, painful death, bleeding for a long time. She shows me blood from her mouth, so maybe he shot her in the tummy. She shows me that she was screaming out for her mom and saying she was sorry, mama, over and over again. And she said that she was met by her ancestors, maybe even her grandmother. She said to me that the earth is where she died and she is attached to nature. She's in the trees, in the wind, and she's not interested in coming back. She provides energy to nature. That's her job. And I'm unsure of what exactly that all means, but they don't really explain much on that. When it comes to what they do or jobs they have, they just kind of give me the bits and pieces. Sounds like she had a lot to say about her passing. She did. Uh, she was a pretty vivid spirit. Now, although she is not the first killed on the highway by any means, but she was the first recorded. And since there isn't a lot of her story out there, she wanted to fill in those gaps. Helen Claire Frost is the next person to go missing left her home in downtown Prince George on the evening of October 13th, 1970, and was never seen again. She was living with her sister, Sandy, at the time in an apartment on the 1600 block of Queensway. Helen worked a number of jobs around this time, including a bus person at the Prince George HBC cafeteria and for a painting company, painting gas stations between Prince George and Terrace. Sandy did not report her sister missing until the 15th of October. Thinking at first she might have stayed at a friend's house, police took a missing persons report, but Sandy said she got the impression that nothing was done. Well, Sandy is not incorrect with that. When it comes to these cases on the highway, there will be a pattern, and we will discuss this over and over as time progresses, I'm sure. But when it comes to cases surrounding the police and doing nothing in relation to these missing people, this was one of those cases. And from what I'm being told by Helen, she said that the police were very racist, and although there was a small number of indigenous police, they weren't really in the position of control. Seems like there was a hierarchy of ranks with police. And the whiter you were, the more rank you got. The more culture in you the lower you got. Sad but true. She shows me that it's just how it was in the 70s and even the way they threatened civilians. If you were white, most of the time you got off for whatever issues. The other cultures and races, not so much. Does she give you the information on her own death? Yeah, uh, she was a hard worker. She shows she made peanuts and she was treated like she was incompetent at her jobs in her life. And sometimes she would get very aggressive people who she met on the way. The gas station job just seemed like it was a place where things would go bad. She doesn't show me how she died. She just says it's not important. But she shows me that the man was white. He wasn't alone. And he was also connected to a few people around town. She knew him and had a few run-ins with him in the past. She shows me that he hated indigenous people and everything that they stood for. 
He made fun of them and mocked them constantly, but this time she stood up for herself and she said she did it often and in little ways, but this time she had enough and she wanted to go full force. She made some sort of small gesture of spitting in his face and he felt like her life was worth it. Sadly, a few others seen that he had killed her, but she said that it wasn't even a second thought later on. She said that they didn't care and were drinking and driving too, didn't give two shits about anything, and drove around laughing about it. She even tells me that the cops who they reported it to knew this person as well, and that they had killed a few women in the past. It was basically brushed under the rug. And I feel like he killed a black woman and maybe a woman of another culture, as I am unsure, though. But it was definitely not white. She shows me that she and these two other women who used to follow this guy around keep hearing the name Russ. They keep telling me Russell, Russ. Russell isn't alive anymore and killed a few others in his older years and raped them and stole from them. Even a few stores and even a few banks as well. This guy had a rap sheet and he was just a big bum and bully and thought he was still in high school his entire life. Lucky for Russ, he had a horrible death, major drunk and smoker, and he died of emphysema and kidney failure at the same time. And I don't believe he was able to take drugs for the assistance because he already did pretty heavy drugs as well. The medication that they gave him did absolutely nothing for the pain. So why bother? Those women all watched him suffer. So they are all pleased with this karma. The other weird thing she wants me to mention is that she died on the day that she had seen for years. She had always known she was going to die on October 13th. She just didn't know when and where or how early. I love these older cases just so you guys know when people die and they have been gone for a long time and then their murderers die, they have so much information and can give details about a lot more. I may be a medium, but I only get some of the answers. I don't get them all, and we aren't supposed to. We are supposed to be the ones to figure it out with the details we get. Now, since this case is super old, we get more of the full picture, and they also give us more details that they want to share. On to the next one here in this long list of names, Ginny Sampar. She went missing on October 14, 1971. Her cousin Alvin was the last person to see her near a bridge on Highway 16. He left Ginny to bike home and get his jacket. As he pedaled back to meet her, he heard a pickup door slam. But when he reached the road, there was no pickup truck and his cousin was gone. There was some speculation that Ginny ran away or committed suicide after her boyfriend disappeared but her family disputes these theories. Her boyfriend's body was found drowned in the Skeena River after she disappeared. This one is so tragic as well and sort of kind of romantic at the same time. Ginny was very much in love with her boyfriend and yes, he did disappear and yes, she did feel like it was her fault. They weren't doing well in their relationship and she felt like she wasn't pretty. She used to always say that and she used to get very jealous of any girl that would talk to him or hang out with him. And uh, basically, they did get into a bit of a fight. I see that he went missing the same day. Now, here's where things get a little hairy. She shows me that the night that they fought, she was home in the house. I believe it to be the place or outside of his place. Either way, his relative is who I don't believe was really nice. Ended up getting drunk and hurting this poor boy. I feel like he broke his neck and I feel like he got himself into the truck and took him to an area and they ended up just 
finding his body. Now, this guy, in his mind, he thought that Jenny had seen or heard something because she was acting a little weird, and he thought that her line of questions made him uneasy. So he felt like she knew something and decided that no one could find out about what happened to his nephew. So he was too drunk to remember if she was or was not there. And it wasn't a real risk he wanted to take. So basically, he followed her everywhere until he could basically approach her. And he said something to her like, hey, I know where he is. And uh, he's been found. Let's go. And she got right into the truck. She shows me that he started pretty much telling her right away what happened. And he even said it was an accident and that he didn't mean to do it. But with her, he was going to have to take her to him. So she stayed because she was scared, but she decided to basically go with him and find this body again since he was drunk sadly he didn't really remember where he put his nephew's body he decided to basically break this poor girl's neck as well and put her somewhere closer to home i keep seeing farm stuff he may have had like her remains in a, a grinder or something i'm not a hundred percent sure i don't know what i'm looking at either way this may be because he was afraid to leave it in some other place, so he didn't want them to get tied to each other, and her body will never be found. Her and her boyfriend are together, though, and they're happy, and she's happy to be with him, and he's her soulmate. Monica Igneous. She was only 14 years old. She was believed to be going home from school when she was last seen at 11 p.m. on the 13th of December, 1974, in Thornhill. She was walking home alone. Her body was found in a gravel pit or a densely forested area on the 6th of April, 1975, east of Terrace near Selger Forest Service Road. Two witnesses reported seeing a car pulled over on the side of the road. The night that Monica had vanished, the pair saw a man and the passenger who looked like the girl inside the vehicle. Monica had been strangled. Poor Monica. She was so young and just so innocent in the situation. And I know they all are, but I feel like she was a young 14. She didn't really stop playing with toys. And she shows me she had a beautiful life. She shows me she loved living and where she lived and how she loved candy. And I feel like whoever took her, I feel like this man was white too. But from what she shows me, he was much older, maybe in his late 50s. He was looking for a prostitute, I believe, and he didn't see anything or anyone that night. And I feel like he had candy. Not even good candy, but like dirty old man candy. The image that she shows me of this man is like somebody who didn't shower, didn't take care of himself, like at all. Had major issues, like sweating. She said that he raped her and that basically he had seen witnesses. So he got spooked and killed her. She said she was screaming at him and hitting him and crying and he just strangled her without a thought. He picked up a few prostitutes after the fact, but never killed someone again. Didn't live much later anyways, though. She said he also had a pretty cruel death. Seems like a pattern for the girls watching their murderer's deaths. And the last two perps had karma hit them quite a bit. Justice may have not been served, but karma definitely helped. Oh yeah, it did. These girls have been through so much and hearing these stories, I know I won't be able to reach all of them, but I'll keep trying as many as I can. Mary Jane Hill, 31 years old. Mary Jane Hill was found nude along Highway 16 on the 26th of March, 1978. 
34 kilometers from Prince Rupert. Cause of death was determined to be from bronchitis and bronchopneumonia as a result of manslaughter. Now she shows me that it was so, so cold and it was really freezing and she didn't have any proper attire on. She decided to hitchhike home since there was no bus in this area. I see she had been picked up about two kilometers from where she lives. And this man and his friend both decided to rape her. She shows me she fought back hard. She scratched their eyes. She punched them, kicked them, told them they were disgusting. And basically going and going. After they were both done, they drove and chucked her out the car naked. She passed out and basically froze to death. She shows me that she felt death pretty quickly after she was thrown out of the car. She shows me that she crawled as far as she could possibly go, but didn't feel the cold anymore. Warmth came and she passed. She said that her great-grandmother was there for her, and she said she wasn't alone. And she spends time with these other women now, although these other women have all crossed over, a few of them kind of walk along the highway and hum to all the women that are in danger. They all walk around the road at the witching hour, aka 2 to 4 a.m., and they all do it, apparently, most of them anyway. About 80 victims, but even more than that have never been named. There's a lot of forest out there. That is very interesting. Well, guys, we will keep on doing the Highway of Tears episodes as there are many many of these cases that we have yet to cover. I, for one, just shocked uh, that you are really here and I've been wanting you home for so long and I'm not letting you go anytime soon. We are very lucky to have you back. I feel very lucky to be here with you again. One more thing to discuss. We will still be dropping the Bruce MacArthur's Victims episode once we get to the 2,000 subs on the Facebook page. The page is called Freaked Out Podcast. Yes, guys, please remember, the Facebook page is not for regular reading, so if you want a regular reading, there's only one way to do it, which is a one-on-one session. So please book at the website boomspoton.com. The other thing I want to mention before I let you guys go is that anytime I get any updates on any cases, I will most likely do an update episode, but until then, just assume we don't have any yet. This podcast is only five months old, so I don't expect any sort of updates on episodes basically until the second or third season. I also wanted to let you all know that we have chosen the episodes for the rest of the year, so once we get to 2023, we will need a whole new list and we will start preparing that in October. Thank you again, guys, and remember, stay freaked out.